Greetings, this is podcast number 65 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to examine the right-wing claim that there's a war on religion in this country. You'll see that, as with most everything right-wingers say, the exact opposite is true. We'll also present a quick blast for you to use when conversing with your friendly local right-winger, and we'll hear an informative listener comment on last week's podcast. Let's get right into it. I recently received an interesting fundraising letter from the ACLU. Apparently, right-wing Christians are making false claims that the ACLU wants to fire all military chaplains and that federal legislation is needed to prevent religious markings from being removed from the grave markers at military cemeteries. As the holiday season gets closer, you might recall that way back in Podcast 19, I dismantled the phony War on Christmas claim championed by Bill O'Reilly and others. All these right-wing lies illustrate a favorite right-wing tactic, stirring up their base by breathlessly warning that there is a war on religion in this country. That war supposedly subjects religious organizations to hostility and discrimination and threatens the religious freedom of God-fearing Americans. Here's Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert, quote, Radical courts have attempted to gut our religious freedom and redefine the value system on which America was built, close quote. Tom DeLay said that society, quote, treats Christianity like a second-class superstition. Seen from that perspective, of course there is a war on religion, close quote. This past spring, there was a conference in Washington, D.C. that attracted hundreds of people and not a few pandering members of Congress. The conference's name was The War on Christians and the Values Voter in 2006. As with most things right-wingers claim, the exact opposite is true. The New York Times recently ran a nearly 20,000-word, five-part series examining this issue. This series and a related editorial and article are my sources for this segment. The newspaper's conclusion? In addition to the already substantial tax breaks and other special treatment afforded religious institutions historically, quote, an analysis of laws passed since 1989 shows that more than 200 special arrangements, protections, or exemptions for religious groups or their adherents were tucked into congressional legislation, covering topics ranging from pensions to immigration to land use. New breaks have also been provided by a host of pivotal court decisions at the state and federal level, and by numerous rule changes in almost every department and agency of the executive branch. Close quote. John Whitty Jr., director of the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University's Law School, said that all this special treatment amounts to, quote, a sort of religious affirmative action program, close quote. Let me briefly tell you about some of these historical and new special arrangements, protections, and exemptions. You can then decide whether or not there's a war against religion occurring. Exemption from Civil Rights Laws 
You may know that the nation's civil rights laws already allow religious employers to discriminate against prospective employees based on faith. There is also a long-standing doctrine that the courts have utilized in employment disputes called the ministerial exception. Under this doctrine, courts will not examine the, quote, doctrines, governance, discipline, or hiring preferences of any religious faith, close quote. The thinking is religious organizations need to be able to choose their own spiritual leaders without government interference. This doctrine is not under attack, quite the contrary. It is being expanded by the courts, often in unfortunate ways. The courts have increasingly shielded religious organizations, quote, from complaints about discrimination, whether based on race, nationality, age, gender, medical condition, or sexual orientation. Judges have carved out or preserved safe havens that shield religious employers of all faiths from most employee lawsuits, from laws protecting pensions and providing unemployment benefits, and from laws that give employees the right to form unions to negotiate with their employers. Close quote. Mary Rosati was training to be a nun in Toledo, Ohio. She claims that after being diagnosed with breast cancer, she was dismissed from the program because the mother superior said, quote, We will have to let her go. I don't think we can take care of her. Close quote. Her lawyer, J. Jeffrey Heck, said that, quote, I understand and absolutely appreciate that in matters of religion, the state has no business meddling. It would be unthinkable for a judge to be able to say, Hey, I don't like the way you're interpreting the book of Luke. Close quote. But this is not such a case, he argues. It was the financial burden, not any spirituality-based reason, that led to Mary Rosati's dismissal. Another area of unwarranted special treatment enjoyed by religious entities is exemption from business regulations. Besides being able to ignore anti-discrimination laws for reasons that don't have anything to do with spiritual doctrine, religious institutions also enjoy exemption from a host of federal, state, and local rules on the provision of social services, such as addiction treatment centers and child care. As you would imagine, regulations on daycare centers are designed to protect the youngsters there and often are established in response to dangerous conditions that are found to exist. Yet in Alabama, to take one example, daycare centers run by religious institutions are exempt from these regulations. Not only are children at risk, but these religious-run centers then enjoy a financial advantage over other concerns that do have to comply with sometimes expensive licensing requirements. That's why, quote, the argument that religious groups are victims of discrimination drew a sigh from Ms. White, close quote, the director of one non-profit but not religious child care center, which does have to comply with Alabama's regulations. Eleven other states exempt religious daycare centers from at least some of the rules applicable to other non-profit concerns. Interestingly, one state no longer on that list is Texas. When George W. Bush was governor, he pushed through such exemption legislation but then confirmed cases of neglect and abuse at such institutions led the Texas legislature to drop those exemptions a few years later after Bush left the governorship. And I can't help add, was given far greater opportunities to achieve what right-wingers always do, increased human misery, suffering, pain, and death. 
To give just one more example here in this area of exemption from business regulation, employees at religious institutions are left vulnerable by pension law exemptions. ERISA is the federal pension law. There have been, quote, several cases in which workers at religious hospitals found that their pensions had vanished because of practices that would not have been allowed under ERISA's rules, close quote. Special rights to challenge zoning land use restrictions. In addition to continued and expanded exemption from civil rights laws and business regulations, religious congregations enjoy special treatment with respect to zoning laws. Congress in 2000 passed a law that made it easier for religious institutions to challenge zoning decisions in court. Boulder County, Colorado has a long-standing policy to preserve open spaces. A church there wants to expand into an area set aside for single-family homes and has sued under the 2000 law. Marcy Hamilton, a law professor at the Cardozo School of Law, who is helping Boulder County with its case, states that while the 2000 law was supposedly passed to, quote, make sure churches don't get discriminated against, close quote, it actually provides, quote, such an expansive remedy that not only are they not discriminated against, but they are now capable of discriminating against all other landowners, close quote. Notice the typical right-wing pattern. They claim victimhood as a means to allow them to be the ones actually creating victims. Let's take a quick break. Let's now get into what I call the pure money stuff how religious institutions are invoking their First Amendment rights to drain resources from other Americans. Exemption from property taxes. We know churches and other religious congregations already don't pay property taxes on their sanctuary land, but now the trend is to exempt them from paying property taxes on lavish facilities they operate that are at best tangential and often have nothing to do with the traditional church mission. In and around South Bend, Indiana, are two luxury retirement communities. Quote, the two retirement communities have the same gabled ranch houses with the same touches of brick and stone clustered around a pond with the same fountain funneling spray into the air and ducks waddling down the grassy bank. Close quote. But while the residents of one pay $2,300 per unit in property taxes, the religious organization operating the other says its development should be exempt from property taxes and has gone to court to achieve that financial windfall. The Brothers of Holy Cross claim their development is a charitable activity. Yet the average net worth of residents in the Brothers of Holy Cross retirement community is over $1 million. Boulder County has argued that providing luxury retirement housing to millionaires is not a charitable ministry. I would tend to agree. I'm not familiar with any biblical verse with any resemblance at all to one that reads, Thou shalt provide subsidized luxury refuge in old age to the richest among you. The county also points out that if the religious institution's millionaire retirement facility is exempted from property taxes, quote, 
a heavier burden will fall on the working families in the county that are struggling to pay the taxes on their small homes in careworn communities like the west side of South Bend. Close quote. This is not an isolated case. Quote, in recent years, a church-run fitness center with a tanning bed and video arcade in Minnesota, a biblical theme park in Florida, a ministry's 1,800-acre training retreat and conference center in Michigan, religious broadcasters' transmission towers in Washington State, and housing for teachers at church-run schools in Alaska have all been granted tax breaks by local officials, or when they balked by the courts or state legislators. These organizations and their leaders still rely on public services, police and fire protection, streetlights and storm drains, highway and bridge maintenance, food and drug inspections, national defense. But their tax exemptions shift the cost of providing those benefits onto other citizens. Close quote. Tax-exempt bonds issued to benefit religious churches and schools. Another area of expanding financial advantage granted to religious institutions is the increasing use of government-issued tax-exempt bonds for their benefit. Starting around 1991, the government and the courts have become ever more friendly to tax-exempt financing for overtly religious organizations. To give but one example, quote, Early 2005 brought the sale of $28.5 million worth of tax-exempt bonds issued by Cook County, Illinois, to finance the construction of an academic center for the Catholic Theological Union, the largest Catholic graduate school of theology in the United States. The new building, which a seminary spokeswoman said would open this fall, includes space for the world-class Bechtold Library of Theology, spacious classrooms for religious study, and, quote, a worship area that has a sacred space for the entire community to gather, close quote. We're not talking petty change here. Quote, more than $20 billion in tax-exempt bonds have been sold since the late 1980s on behalf of religious institutions or their affiliates, including deals benefiting a Jewish vocational workshop in Michigan, a Baptist retirement home in Arizona, a Presbyterian housing project in Missouri, Lutheran nursing homes and daycare centers in Minnesota, and Catholic schools in Rhode Island, close quote. With regard to all these tax advantages, it's clear that religious institutions are expanding their mission concept and government is expanding their traditional tax exemptions as well. So, quote, American businesses and nonprofit groups without a religious label have now been placed at a competitive disadvantage in areas where traditional religious institutions had never ventured, close quote. According to Professor Derek H. Davis, an expert in the field, quote, they don't want government involved in monitoring religious institutions, but they want the benefits that government is dispensing anyway. To me, that's unfair. If you're going to take government money, you should abide by the rules, like everybody else. Close quote. The Faith-Based Initiative Of course, any discussion of government accommodation toward, not a war against, religion has to include the torrent of government money flowing directly into the coffers of religious organizations under the Bush administration's Faith-Based Initiative. The policy shift allowing this was it must be pointed out, started under Bill Clinton. 
It has rapidly accelerated under George W. Bush. Okay, so as you've just heard, in so many areas, exemptions from employee civil rights laws, exemption from business regulations, special zoning treatment, property tax exemptions, tax-exempt bond financing, and direct government payments as part of the faith-based initiative. In so many areas, religion is not under attack in this country. It's being increasingly treated in a superior way to everyone else. Over 200 deals from Congress, plus many additional breaks from important state and federal court decisions. As Professor Witte in the New York Times summarized the situation, quote, Separation of church and state was certainly part of American law when many of today's public opinion makers were in school. But separation of church and state is no longer the law of the land. The wall between church and state is being replaced by a platform that raises religious organizations to a higher legal plane than their secular counterparts. Close quote. It's the Religious Affirmative Action Program described earlier. How did all this happen? We all know the First Amendment says, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, close quote. The Establishment of Religion Clause part of the amendment has traditionally been interpreted to mean that government action could not seem to favor religious groups over secular ones. Now, however, courts are increasingly likely to support government actions that benefit religious organizations. This process really picked up speed after William H. Rehnquist, put on the Supreme Court by Richard Nixon, was appointed Chief Justice of the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. Professor Davis expects the court under new Chief Justice John Roberts, along with fellow Bush appointee Sam Alito, to follow in Rehnquist's footsteps on this issue. According to Professor Davis, quote, clearly we're going to be in this accommodative mode for some time, close quote. Knowing all this, how does the right wing get away with its phony war on religion argument? For one thing, the public is largely unaware of this platform of superiority being built for religious institutions. And the right wing keeps the public distracted by focusing on a few emotional lightning issues like same-sex marriage and religious symbols on public land. The right wing echo chamber also makes a huge deal over everyday dust-ups that inevitably occur in a nation of 300 million people. Minor incidents that, in the past, would have been resolved locally and quickly. Examples would be, quote, a devout librarian fired for refusing to work on Sunday, a local zoning law that allows no churches, a student rebuked for saying God bless you to a classmate who sneezed. With the involvement of these advocacy groups, battles like these are getting far more attention, adding to the public concern about threats to religious freedom. While many of these cases are quickly resolved with a single warning letter or sometimes just a telephone call, they leave a bitter aftertaste in the political arena, said the Reverend Barry Lynn, President of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Close quote. In fact, this entire process reflects a collision of values. There is the eminently worthwhile and sacred First Amendment value that religious institutions should be free of intrusion by the government. Government clearly must not be allowed to mandate how religious leaders are selected or to settle doctrinal disputes. 
but taking that no intrusion value too far, so far that there is an enormous financial subsidy to religion, violates that other eminently worthwhile and sacred First Amendment value, the Establishment Clause. Taking that no intrusion value too far undermines the right of Americans to be protected against job discrimination. Taking that no intrusion value too far puts secular businesses, even charitable nonprofits that are secular, at a competitive disadvantage. And taking that no intrusion value too far so decreases tax revenues that a far heavier burden falls on ordinary taxpayers. Sharing the responsibilities of society fairly is a core American value that is not being served well here. Professor Hamilton noted that even 10 years ago, quote, it was inconceivable for most to think that religion might well be aggressively expanding its power in a way that is harmful to the public good, close quote. But that seems to be what is happening. The exact opposite of a war on religion that the right screams about. Indeed, the very destruction of whatever it embraces that characterizes the right-wing modus operandi may be at work here in the religious sphere. Quote, Some scholars and leaders of faith worry that the real threat to religious vitality in the United States is not the hostility of a secular culture. What's happening with all these tax breaks and exemptions is a soft, subconstitutional establishment of religion returning to the country, said John Whitty Jr. That increasing level of indirect support and patronage, he said, quote, breeds a level of dependency that I think is dangerous for both religion and government, close quote. Let me close with this. Professor Hamilton feels that the power of religious institutions in this country, quote, is at its apex, close quote. I'm not sure it's reached its apex yet. The IRS currently prohibits nonprofits from making political endorsements. The wish list of the religious right for congressional action includes the chilling H.R. 235, this House of Representatives bill, which has 165 co-sponsors, would, quote, allow churches and other religious institutions, but not secular nonprofits, close quote, to endorse political candidates. A naked grab for more direct and unfair influence on the political process to match its already successful drive to enjoy financial favoritism and the mammon fruits thereof. Not exactly a spiritual agenda, but an agenda that spells out right-wing. A right-wing agenda, dressed in religious freedom clothing. I'm taking my country back. Son, you ain't been doing her right. Oh, I've been watching you and I don't like how you've been treating my stars and stripes. Here's a two-fact quick blast, should you be lucky enough to have the opportunity to flummox a right-winger with this info. My source here is a Newsweek poll released last weekend. Right-wingers like to go on and on about how Americans don't share the progressive agenda. Oh yeah? 
Well, then ask your friendly local right-winger, why is it that 68% of Americans say raising the minimum wage should be a top priority? Right-wingers not only don't want to raise the minimum wage, many of them would like to abolish it. Inquire of your right-winger how it feels to be in such a minority position on this issue. Second fact, right-wingers in Congress fashioned the Medicare drug benefit to forbid Congress from negotiating directly with drug companies for the lowest prices. Crazy, but true. 74% of Americans said it should be a top priority for Congress to allow such negotiation for cheaper drug prices. Again, the right wing is out of step with the vast majority of the country. In fact, the Democrats have said that two of the first things they're going to do if they take over Congress are raise the minimum wage and change the law to allow such direct negotiation with drug companies. Tell your right wing, relative, friend, acquaintance, or blood enemy, whatever he or she may be. This is why the polls now say that the public has swung over to support a Democratic victory in the November midterm election. Left, the right, the right. Left, left the right, the right. Last podcast, I discussed likely right-wing electronic voting machine fraud in the upcoming midterm elections, and how exit polls, since they're so accurate, are used as a standard to measure the honesty of elections. So guess what? A listener calling himself Republophobia wrote in on my podcast homepage, quote, I live in Florida and I feel your pain. We have just passed a law that prevents exit polling from happening within a hundred feet of any official election poll. The Republicans call it voter protection from intimidation. Everyone else calls it voter fraud. Close quote. I'll say, what a blatant attempt to cripple a major tool for detecting fraudulent manipulation of the voting process. According to the Associated Press, a federal judge is hearing a challenge to this statute. Hopefully, he'll throw this law out before the election, as he has indicated he may do. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on my podcast homepage. You can get to my podcast homepage by typing Blast the Right into Google. I'm the first result. I want to thank all of you who added in your votes since last week on PodcastAlley.com. We've moved back up to the number 7 spot that we had last month. If a few more of you come out and vote, we can move up to number 6 and improve on last month's standing. Eventually, it would be great if we could overtake Free Talk Live. They're the libertarian, in other words, extreme right-wing economics, show that's currently number 5. As always, a special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board, and why don't you check out the homepage as well, where you can download and listen to any podcast anytime you want. Here's a heads-up for you. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, Blast the Right CDs are going to be available. Details to follow. Now that the Blast the Right MySpace page is up, why don't you come on over? I'd like to add you all as friends. Finally, I want to thank Mike from Brooklyn for some research on last week's podcast. I forgot to thank him last week. 
Now a word from another progressive podcaster who has, shall we say, a unique way of presenting himself. This is the rude guy. The pimple on the butt of corporate culture. Welcoming you to the idea of the week. Would you like to hear solutions to oil wars, immigration, outsourcing, health care, and much, much more? This is the Thinking Man's Podcast. That's anti-branding, anti-marketing, anti-slickness, anti-everything that corporate media stands for. No stupid people allowed. Download the Rude Guy podcast at iTunes or www.therudeguy.com if you dare. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber. The bumper music was Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth and The Schnee Speaks by KG House combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music. Nye's Music also wrote the main Blast the Right theme that you hear at the beginning of each podcast. We'll close with a bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found in my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found in my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. Sometimes I get a little behind in answering the mail, but I will respond, so be patient. If you'd like to leave a comment for me to play on the podcast, call 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also call me on Skype and leave a comment. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now I'm stocking shirts in a Walmart store, just like the ones we made before. Except this one came from Singapore. I guess we can't make it here anymore. Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in? Should I hate them for having our jobs today? No, I hate the men sent the jobs away. I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams, all lily white and squeaky clean. They never known want, they'll never know need. The don't stink and their kids won't bleed. Their kids won't bleed in the damn little war and we can't make it here anymore.